the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Well, sometimes I wish I was always right. Welcome. It is eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday, the fourth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. It's Always Right Radio, which you can find online at alwaysright.us, and I certainly encourage you to do so. I wish I was always right, because if I was always right, Mike DeWine would be on his way out of Columbus. Instead, apparently... A majority of GOP primary voters are okay with tyranny. They're down with the cause. Tyranny, heavy-handed government oversight, heavy-handed government overreach, all of those those things are just a-okay. You remember uh you remember seeing and hearing words like these, don't you, from the former governor of Ohio, Amy Acton? when she was basically leading Mike DeWine around like a puppy dog on a leash? Do you remember? I hereby order all persons are to continue to stay home. This order shall remain in full force until 11.59 p.m. on May 29, 2020, unless the director rescinds or modifies this order. End quote. The director was the person giving the order, Amy Acton, director of Ohio Health, appointed, and by the way, noted and proud abortion activist, appointed to that position by Governor Mike DeWine. I remember those days. They were only two years ago. I remember being told we couldn't leave our homes unless we were dis- uh, uh unless we were defined by the DeWine administration as being essential. If you're essential, you can leave your home and go to work. If you're non-essential, 
you must stay cooped up. If you're non-essential, we will have the Gestapo out patrolling the streets, and we will make we will make sure they take you home or somewhere else where you can't escape again. Businesses destroyed. Jobs gone forever. Students, education, schools completely and utterly devastated. All of them. And I remember going through it at the time. I remember talking about how we can never let this happen again. And the only way to assure that this will never happen again is to get rid of that guy and the walking, mumbling, bumbling lab coat that he appointed to essentially make all of these decisions for him. I said then I will do everything that I can to try to stop Mike DeWine from being governor anymore. Apparently I don't have a a whole lot of power. I don't have a whole lot of sway. And I knew that. Obviously it was going to take something and someone and multiple organizations to move mountains to try to make this happen. But I was hoping that there were enough mountain movers to do it. Unfortunately, as Ohio GOP voters in an overwhelming landslide fashion last night voted for uh, uh, more tyranny, for a little Napoleon named Mike DeWine to maintain his role as governor, the little tyrant, I was unable, and we were unable, those of us who were trying to move those mountains, to counter a couple of different things. One of which is the naivete and the gullible big hat supporters that are out there. We knew it at the time. We knew the big hat supporters were going to go out there and we're going to pull the anti-DeWine votes apart and away from Jim Renacci, the only viable, legitimate, and truly conservative candidate that was in this race. We knew that supporters of the big hat were going to play a big role in denying Ohioans the opportunity to dump DeWine. But you add those to the I don't know how many thousands of Democrat crossover votes because of Ohio's ridiculous and insane open primary policy. You add those crossover Democrats who literally said they were crossing over. We don't have any major races to fight on our side of this uh, of this ballot. So we'll pick Republican ballots up when we go to vote, and we'll vote for the two uh, Republican candidates that we find to be most like us. And they made it very clear they were going to cross over and vote for Mike DeWine, because if Mike DeWine wins the governor uh, governor's race again over Nan Whaley, what's the difference, they said. What's the difference? One Democrat or another. They'll do the same thing. So the best thing we can do is ensure we don't have an actual true conservative governor like Jim Renacci, who would do things we don't like. So they said, we're going to do that for Mike DeWine, and we're going to do it in the Senate race for Matt Dolan, easily the most Democrat-like candidate in that field. So we're going to cross over. How many? I don't know. I don't know how many Democrats polled Republican ballots because they don't chart that. They just ask you. I voted yesterday at about 1230. After, uh, no, it was closer to 1 o'clock, I guess, after I got uh, off the air. I made a point of going right up 
And I voted around, it was 12.30, 12.45, I don't know, I didn't look at my watch. But I, I went in and did my thing. They handed me my little stylus that you poke the uh, touch screen with. They said, go over there, show your ID, which I did, the racist bastard. <clears throat> the poll workers who made me show a photo identification, which is highly offensive. And then they made me sign my name. And then they gave me. They said to me, which ballot would you like, Republican or Democrat? And they didn't ask, are you a registered Republican, sir, or are you a registered Democrat, sir? They just said, which one you want? So I could have been a registered Democrat, and I want a Republican ballot. That's how, not that this is new news. That's how it works for everybody. But that is the ridiculousness of the Ohio law, and it's one of the reasons why our current Secretary of State, I think, has fallen out of favor with so many conservatives. It's one of many, many reasons, by the way. But it's one that I would like to see addressed immediately. An end to open primaries in the state of Ohio. Because it allows members of the opposite party, the the the, the uh, opponents of of your vision and your goal for your party and its leadership of the state, it allows them to cross over and screw it all up. So between the big hat fans, let around, you know, and gather around, you know, I'm just picturing an old 1800s. You know, uh, magic elixir salesman standing in the middle of the square, climbing up on a stump in his big old hat and telling everybody about this wonderful magic potion that he's got. And step right up, folks. Who'll be the first to buy? Who wants to? And a whole bunch of naive people gathered around the big hat and the big beard and said, boy, he doesn't look like a politician. He looks more like one of us. And he looks more like one of us. That's who we should vote for. Oh, lordy. Between the Bly Stoners and the Democrat crossovers, Renacy had no shot. And because Renacy had no shot, America had no, or excuse me, Ohio has no shot. You know one of the first things that I did last night? One of the very, one of the very first things that I did as, uh, you know, the results started to come in, as predictable as they were, one of the very first things that I did was look up Neil Peterson. Neil Peterson is an independent who is running for governor. Uh, he can be on the uh, on the uh, general election ballot in November, so that we have an option between the little tyrant that is Mike DeWine and the Democrat who is bound to be a tyrant as well, because well, it's the nature of Democrats. Nan Whaley, uh, is there a third option? And I saw Neil Peterson's page, and I see stop medical tyranny, and I think, okay, you you got me. I'm hooked. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to look over the course of the next few months to see if I can cast my vote for Neil Peterson because I can promise you this. I will never cast another vote for Mike DeWine. Never. And I certainly will not cast a vote for an Ohio Democrat like Nan Whaley because what would be the difference? Might I cast my vote for a third-party candidate? You better believe it. Might I cast my vote for a write-in candidate? You better believe it. Will I sit home and not do my duty and not vote? No, I will not. But I will vote third-party or I will write someone in, but I will not vote for either one of those Democrats that are going to be on the ballot. I said, as we went through, 
the destruction of Ohio, the destruction of our rights, the locking down of our schools, the forced masking, the vaximillions, the lies from the Ohio government and from Mike DeWine about the safety and efficiency and effectiveness of those mandated shots. I said then, as he closed businesses and sent out secret police and, 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 and uh, uh, undercover officers into businesses to flag people for standing while they were drinking or eating and not walking to the bathroom, you were on your feet and you weren't ha- headed to a destination like the bathroom, you're sighted and the business got sighted. I watched all of that heavy-handed, authoritarian crap and said, I regret my vote for Mike DeWine more than any vote I've ever cast, and I voted for Bill Clinton twice. You heard me. I've made this very clear through the years. It's through my years in radio. These were, of course, before I started in radio. But in 1992 and 1996, as an apolitical, non uh, participant uh, in the process. I was raised up by two parents who were old school, by the way, blue collar, kind of blue dog Democrats, if you will. Uh, you know, the old school union Democrat that my dad was. So I said, okay, I'm a Democrat. I didn't know. I didn't care. I didn't pay attention to it in college. In the late 1980s, not a lick. Didn't care. 1992 came around, voted for the Democrat. Didn't even pay attention, 1992 to 96 very much. 1996, voted for the Democrat. Didn't have a political awakening until a couple of years after that. And then, of course, the wide awakening, the smack in the face of reality that we got from 9-11-2001. But despite having looked back now and regretting the votes for Bill Clinton, which I do, I regret the vote for Mike DeWine more because I was politically aware i was and am politically astute i do study and care about everything now that i didn't then and i voted for that guy now would i have voted for richard cordray if i had to do it all over again no but i would have found something else to do with my vote than cast it for mike dewine the most regrettable vote i've ever cast and guess what i will never make that mistake again So as we try to pick up the pieces from the GOP primary approval of tyranny that we saw last night, we have to decide what are we going to do going forward. Are we going to stick with the party and support a guy like this? I've already told you my position. I welcome yours at 216-901-0945. And then we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with the Senate primary victor? We heard a lot of very, very, very angry conservatives in the state of Ohio, many of them calling this show, leaving me messages, emailing me at alwaysright.us on the contact page there and telling me I'll never vote for J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is a rhino. Donald Trump screwed up and, 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 and endorsed a rhino. He's a leftist. He's a charlatan. He's fake. He's not really repentant of what he said. We know how he feels. I'll never vote for J.D. Vance. Well... It was easier to say that in the primary when there was a chance for Josh Mandel or Mike Gibbons or whomever you liked. But now that it's over, now that all of the shouting is done, let the shouting begin. The shouting at one another on the primary stage is one thing. Now it's J.D. Vance shouting at Tim Ryan and Tim Ryan shouting back. 
Are you ready to put to bed your anti-Vance bias, which may have been very, very well earned, and support him in order to stop the Democrat, Tim Ryan, from contributing to a Democrat Senate majority control? Are you ready to stand together and support Vance? Going to talk about it at 216-901-0945, Before we take our time out here, I cannot go any further without giving us what we always do. Patriots, please stand, if you would. I almost forgot about it because of the results that I wanted to talk about. Patriots, please stand, though. I would love for you to join me now in pledging allegiance to our flag and to our great republic. If you are a leftist and if you are a Democrat who crossed over to defeat democracy, to literally attack democracy, that's a leftist talking point. If you attacked democracy by uh, by being a Democrat and crossing over and voting in the Republican primary yesterday in order to choose Democrat-like Republicans like Mike DeWine and Matt Dolan, if that's what you did, well, then you don't believe in what this flag represents anyway. You go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For those of us who do, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 923, always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Right back. Kind of an extended monologue there this morning. So I didn't get an opportunity to tell you who's coming up on the program today. In about uh, 10 minutes at 9.35, we're going to look to Jack Windsor, editor-in-chief and founder of the Ohio Press Network, to break down last night's election results. Frank LaRose won, J.D. Vance won, Mike DeWine won, uh, Max Miller won, among others. Uh, Jack Windsor will be joining me at 9.35 to talk about it. Then at 10.05, Bill O'Reilly will join us to talk about his latest uh, killing book, Killing the Killers, America's Secret War on Terrorists and Terrorism. Uh, we've had that scheduled for some time now, even though it kind of interrupts the flow of the uh, election recap, but I think it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, O'Reilly's entertaining, if nothing else, and I look forward to that. Then at 11.10, we'll get the per, uh, the uh, review of the elections from Neil McCabe. We'll get his perspective. Neil McCabe, of course, is our friend and reporter and regular Wednesday commentator from the Ohio Star. So Jack Windsor, Ohio Press Network, Bill O'Reilly, then Neil McCabe, Ohio Star, going to be our guest today. I welcome you uh, as well at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I have absolutely got to thank the 45th, the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, ladies and gentlemen. One, for giving us an example of what could be in this country, ladies and gentlemen. Remember 2019 when wages were going up and not down? Remember 2019 when workers were doing well in this country, not struggling terribly? Thanks to the president for everything, for endorsing me. And i got to say, a lot of the fake news media out there, and, and, and there are some good ones in the back there. There are some bad ones, too, let's be honest. But they wanted to write a story that this campaign would be the death of Donald Trump's America First Agenda. Ladies and gentlemen, it ain't the death of the America First Agenda. And, of course, that depends on whether or not you believe J.D. Vance believes in the America First Agenda. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people don't. 
but obviously President Trump did, at least when he remembered his name. Uh, and J.D. Vance took that victory speech last night, or gave that victory speech last night in Cincinnati. How do you feel about it? Will you rally around him now in order to keep, or get, rather, a Republican majority in the Senate? 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Sally is in Berea. Hi, Sally. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I am calling in a state of mourning because all of my candidates I voted for after braving the rain did not win. But now I am refoc- while I am refocusing like a laser beam on the midterms, I want to publicly thank Jim Renacci for his tireless and heartfelt campaign because he is a patriot. I think he could have won if the state had not sabotaged him by dragging their feet on the hearing with the cowboy hat. At least I hope the backlash against DeWine is going to give him some pause now. I am very disappointed with the ORC and the Republicans in this state house, many of them. So I will watch local and state directives regarding the elections. I will support um, Vance because we really need to keep to get a Republican majority in the Senate. So I will have to hope that he will uh, be true to what he said. Also, I thank you for your informative interviews and efforts to expose the truth to your listeners. You are a patriot, too. Now I will join your listeners to try to voice ways to win the midterms. Thank you. Sally, God bless you. Thank you for the great call. Very, very reflective and very, very honest, and I appreciate your support there for what I've been trying to do as well. Uh, I echo a lot of your sentiments. Uh, John in Cleveland next. Hi, John. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hello, John. Did we lose John? Did he just disconnect himself? John, are you there? I think we may have lost him or he's uh, away from the phone in a speaker or something. Let's go to Charlie in Westlake. Charlie, are you there, Charlie? Hey, John, thanks for taking the call. There he is. Okay, go ahead. Hey, I figured out that, you know, Donald Trump, he was speaking in code, and I think we should blame this J.P. Mandel guy. I think he's the one that released it to the Politico, the opinion. I think I'm going to blame this J.P. Mandel guy for everything, because Donald Trump's speaking to us. So what do you think? You know, my biggest problem with Donald Trump after what just went down, it isn't, it is, it has nothing to do with the J.D. Vance endorsement or the J.D. Vance victory. Not at all. Thank you, Charlie, for the call. My biggest problem with Donald Trump is that he gave a de facto tacit endorsement of Mike DeWine by not endorsing and fully supporting Jim Renacci by giving a big old fat, wet, sloppy tongue kiss to Bob Paduchik on stage in Delaware. Bob Paduchik, the ORP chair, who continued to drive the DeWine campaign rather than letting Ohio voters decide for themselves, get it, driving that endorsement. When Trump kissed Bob Paduchik's rear and refused to even say Jim Renacci's name to try to unite the anti-DeWine conservative vote for Jim Renacci, I think Donald Trump sold out Ohio. That's my problem with Donald Trump. In addition to his complete lack of awareness, apparently, of who's he, who he's even endorsing anyway. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one race. You know, we've endorsed Dr. Oz. We've endorsed JP, right? 
J.D. Mandel, and he's doing great. They're yeah. all doing good. Yeah, he's doing great. J.P. Mandel had a hell of a night. Apparently, somebody forgot to check with his handlers to see whom they endorsed for him. And you can take that however you wish. Jack Windsor will join me next, AM 1420 The Answer. media is always left tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer 939 now we continue on am 1420 the answer it's always right radio online all the time at always right.us always right.us check it out for yourself lead stories of the day include uh, Ohio GOP primary voters choosing tyranny over liberty uh, when they chose Mike DeWine again. Did they have a little boost from the Democrats on the other side? Let's talk about that, among other things, as we do a little election recap with our friend Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor is our Ohio State House correspondent at WHKA and 1420 The Answer, but he's also, and most importantly, the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network online at ohiopressnetwork.com. Jack, good morning. Bob, good morning. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you and the listeners. Thanks for choosing me today. How much of a role do you think, Jack Windsor, that the president's endorsement of uh, Mike DeWine, do you think it played in giving him the primary win over Renacci and uh, and Blystone? And before you say he didn't endorse Mike DeWine, I, I disagree. I believe he did <laughs> by by kissing the rear end of Bob Paduchik and not supporting yeah. Jim Renacci in any way, shape, or form at a rally just a week before the the vote yesterday. Uh, what what role do you think that played, or maybe in a more general sense, to what do you attribute Mike DeWine's landslide win last night? I I attribute it to, to four things, and and we can kind of nitpick them, right? right? Number one, Mike DeWine is a forty year politician, and he has a lot of levers to pull, a lot of relationships to leverage, and a lot of money in the bank account. That's really hard to beat. That's number one. Uh, number two, do I think Democrats crossed over? Perhaps there was a lot that was uh, published over the past couple of weeks that uh, Democrats were marshalling uh, support for Mike DeWine and then in the U.S. Senate race, Matt Dolan, and encouraging their um, liberal voters to get to the polls and request a Republican primary ballot because their logic was Mike DeWine is the best solution because they don't think they're going to win in the general election in November, but he's the best candidate. He's the, the, the least, um, like, you know, the, the, what they would call, uh, Trump. And then Dolan's the same. Dolan is more of a, uh, Rob Portman and he's not Josh Mandel. He's not JD Vance, um, or Mike Gibbons and on down the line. So I think some of that did play in. Look, I'm going to be really frank, though. I think um, <laughs> so. those are the two big factors. Um, look, was there a strong enough candidate or were there too many candidates? Um, when you look at it, 52% of Republican primary voters did not vote for Mike DeWine. 52%. And he's an incumbent. This isn't Johnny-come-lately, new guy. We don't know who he is or what he is. This is a guy who's been in politics for 40 years and was in office for you know the, the previous three. So when you look at that, um, those totals are are pretty low. You'd have to go back to I think 1944 
James Stewart had 34% of the vote, um, and that's lower. But, uh, you know, Jim Rhodes got 48% um, and 86, and then Charles Taft, 47 and, and 52. So, you know, those are really low vote totals. My understanding is, though, voter turnout was pretty paltry. I'm sure the weather had a little bit to do with that. Um, but, you know, that's that's a bigger that's issue, Jack. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me jump into that part. That is that is embarrassing. First of all, how many registered Republicans do you know? Ballpark number? How many registered Republicans there are in the state of Ohio? You caught me off guard. I want to say that's okay. I didn't know you and change two million and change. Maybe see, see, that's what I would have thought. I I saw a message from Tom Z this morning, our our, our good friend and true loyal patriot at uh, the We the People convention, um, who said that there are only eight hundred and forty thousand registered Republicans in Ohio. And in the governor's race, there were 1,068,000 and change who voted in the Republican primary, which does indicate at least if those numbers are right, and I, and it's, it's taking me by surprise that it's less than a million registered Republicans in a state of 11.5 million people. Um, yeah. if that's accurate, then at least a couple hundred thousand Democrats crossed over and voted in, in the Republican primary, uh, because of this ridiculous open primary. So, um, to me, Jack, I mean, I, that's why and I was talking to Jim and AC about this, too, there, and, and I was talking to a number of other people. There needs to be runoffs in, the, in, in Ohio elections. If they're going to keep this open primary, there needs to be like a runoff. Top two finishers go at each other, uh, you know, in, in, in a runoff, because the Democrats crossed over here, as you pointed out, a lot of publications, including the Daily Coast, saying, hey, there's not crap to vote for on our side. Don't draw a Democrat ballot when you go vote. Draw a Republican one and vote for the yeah. two most likely Democrats, or the or rather the yeah. two people who are most like Democrats uh, in those two races, DeWine and Dolan. Yeah. So if those numbers are right, Jack, that's that's pretty astounding to think that the Republicans didn't even really choose their Republican nominee that the Democrats did. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, I had not heard that the, the registered number of voters was that low. I, know I hadn't either until I saw Republican. that this morning, yeah. National Republican Senatorial Committee was projecting about 1.2 million voters would turn out. And looking at those, uh, you know, the, the governor's race numbers, you know, they're getting close to that. Um, so, yeah, that's something we'll have to, to parse out a little bit and figure out how many of those voters are Democrats. But look, to your main point originally, Donald Trump had an opportunity, particularly the last, you know, week before, in the run-up to the election, when he visited Delaware, Ohio, to say something. He was radio silent. And... In fact, to your point, uh, he basically kissed the ring and bought the Ducek and said, hey, this is my friend. You know, he helped me out during uh, you know, my initial election. Uh, and, you know, I think that really, first of all, I don't think I don't think Donald Trump did himself any favors in the state of Ohio. Uh, he has alienated a significant uh, number of conservative voters in the state. I can tell I'm you that. I'm one of them. I'm one of those conservative voters who has backed Donald Trump for the last five and a half years and supported him and defended him against attack after attack after attack. But I am one of them that is very, very disgusted with the way he carried himself in the state of Ohio. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think you're not alone. Uh, that's that's the message we've heard over and over. Now, the, the refrain is also, hey, I, I think his policies are solid uh, based on, on that. That premise. I still think he was a good, you know, the best president of my lifetime. Some people have said, but when it comes to endorsements and when it comes comes to having that political instinct, um, I think he perturbed a lot of people. And I think he that he put his thumb on the scale. Um, you know, it may have made a difference, but let's look at it. It's forty eight percent for Mike Dewine, twenty eight percent Jim Renacci, twenty one percent Joe Blystone, two percent Ron Hood. 
Um, to me, the story there is if they could have consolidated their votes. Now, would every one of the votes that went for those three had gone you know, to whoever, whether it would be Renee C. Blystone or who had in a consolidated vote? Probably not. Um, would it have been enough to beat Mike DeWine? I think so. And so I think that's the story is that you've got the, you know, the vote split up um, four different ways. And I think that made Mike DeWine giddy. I actually talked to someone inside his campaign yesterday um, before the polls closed, and they were very confident. Um, in fact, they said, you know, we're, we're thinking 18 percent we're going to win by. And you know what? They were almost right on the money. Well, yeah, I agree with you on, I, I talked about that before. I feel like a whole lot of people were taken in by a charlatan, snake oil salesman, elixir salesman, uh, standing on the stump in the town square down there by his farm. Uh, and that cost, uh, a real chance there. But even if you add their two, their two percentages up, they're at 49%. They only beat Mike DeWine by 1% because, as I pointed out, I think a significant number of Democrats crossed over. So it was going to be an almost impossible battle to, to try mm-hmm. to remove Mike DeWine with the Democrats. Literally, you know, Trump put his, his thumb on the scale and then Democrats put theirs, uh, on the, in, you know, on the, on the touchscreens. <laughs> they went in to vote and voted in the Republican side, and they gave Mike DeWine a victory. And now the question is, Is will Ohio Republicans coalesce around Mike DeWine? Will Renacci supporters, will Blystone supporters say, okay, it's better than Nan Whaley? I will tell you right now, uh, Jack Windsor, uh, I will be a champion for doing exactly the opposite of that. Uh, I will not vote for Mike DeWine again. It was the biggest, worst vote I've ever cast in my adult life. Uh, I will not vote for Nan Whaley, the Democrat, either. What's the difference between the two of them? I will look to a third party. Do you think most Ohio Republicans will unify behind him, or will they look elsewhere? Well, look, I'm going to just make some really stupid opinion, opinion-laden comments right now. Um, Joe Blystone, 20, almost 22%. I would I would bet the farm that 22 percent uh, are, are going to vote for somebody other than DeWine. Jim Renacci, 28 percent. I think a significant number of those people will do the same. I can't tell you the vitriol um, that was in the messages that I received last night when Mike DeWine won the primary when he was announced. And it wasn't, well, look, we need to just be mature about this. We need to rally as Republicans and back this guy. It was who who can we vote for? Who's going to step into the gap? And Neil Peterson is, uh, I believe, a pastor. Uh, he's an independent. Uh, his name was thrown around quite a bit last night. And there were some rumors and speculations that uh, other folks might, you know, create a, a write-in campaign. But I, I'm telling you, the the lack of approval for Mike DeWine isn't just, well, I, I like Jim Renacci better or Joe Blystone better or Ron Hood better. I think those candidates are good candidates. I think there is a significant amount of vitriol and anger um, for Mike DeWine in the Republican Party, and he's never going to get that back. I I can promise you there are people who lost businesses, who um, weren't able to see loved ones pass away in nursing homes, uh, families that have kids who had their education interrupted at critical development times, and, uh, you know, I'm one of those. I will never well, vote for the guy. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Jack Windsor is our guest from the Ohio Press Network. Jack, let's talk about the winner on the uh, in the Senate race. That's now. what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one race. You know, we've endorsed Dr. Oz. We've endorsed JP, right? J.D. Mandel, and he's doing great. 
They're all doing good. He had a big night, JPJD Mandel did, uh, or he lost. I don't know. I guess the Mandel half of that person lost, and the JPJD part of that had a good night and won. What is your takeaway from the, the, the Vance victory? Is this all about Trump's last-minute endorsement, or is it is it deeper than that? You know, I think it's a combination of a few things. I think J.D. Vance was well-funded at the right times. Um, I think he, you know, after he got the Trump endorsement, um, his coffers were refreshed by Peter Thiel and had $3.5 million um, he spent on that endorsement. Look, an endorsement only matters if you tell people about it, and I think he did a masterful job of that. Um, But I think it's also a combination. Uh, I think... Josh Mandel and Mike Gibbons had tremendous amounts of momentum. Um, I wrote a quick article last night where I cited the on-stage altercation between Gibbons and Mandel, and uh, that didn't bode well for Gibbons. There was a little fallout, and then after that, Jane Timken, uh, you know, kind of hit him with an uppercut during a, de- a debate, and, and I don't think he ever recovered from that. And uh, you know, it, so basically, it's Josh Mandel, J.D. Vance, Matt Dolan. Um, and Matt Dolan, by the way, that's a, a separate story. That, to me, was the biggest story, that he pulled 23% of the vote and he surged late in the contest. But I think I think it is really about Donald Trump weighing in for J.D. Vance. And, you know, look, it wasn't just Donald Trump. It was his son um, campaigned with uh, Vance uh, in the two weeks leading up to the, to the vote. Um, and then you have Senator Josh Hawley, uh, Republican from Missouri, who also claims to be anti-big tech. Um, he endorsed and campaigned with J.B., Marjorie Taylor Greene, and then, you know, Charlie Kirk, the conservative commentator who pulls a lot of listeners. Uh, those folks were all behind him. And I think when you add all of those things up, it mattered. I, Bob, I told you we did these four U.S. Senate uh, camp, uh, excuse me, forums throughout the state of Ohio, and J.D. Vance, was the most polished on stage. He has the ability to take a complex issue, break it down, and talk about it in layman's terms. And he does it in forceful language. He's not shy. In fact, one of our readers said, if this guy governs one-third as hard as he talks, he's going to make Senator Ted Cruz look like a sissy. Question is, is what is he going to say as hard as he talks? And what kind of governing decisions will he make? Um, Yeah. So, Jack, same question I asked about DeWine. Do you think that Ohio Republican voters who were Mandel guys, who were Gibbons guys, even who were Dolan guys or Timken guys, I shouldn't say guys, apologies, who are I'm using that in a general sense, but uh, voters, do you think they will coalesce around J.D. Vance now? Well, let me a real quick point. 67, 67.8% of people didn't follow Trump's endorsement, to answer your question on J.D. Vance. 67.8. So that tells you something. Well, they... They circle the wagons around J.D. Vance. Um, look, the first two out of the gate who said they will, one is Mike Gibbons. And by the way, um, again, I'm going to get personal here. Mike Gibbons is, is a great human being. Um, he, t- he took a lot of flack at the end of that race. And um, he's, he's just a really good human being. And he came out and said, look, I'm, I'm going to fully support J.D. Vance. And then Jane Timken came out and said, I'm going to fully support J.D. Vance. Um, I haven't received anything else in my mailbox. I don't know if Josh Mandel will. I don't know if Matt Dolan will. Although during one of our forums, I believe it was unanimous. Everyone said, look, this is one of the biggest Senate races of our lifetime. And whoever comes out of this ahead, we're going to you know, rally around him and support him. So I expect that to happen. I said, 
I, I asked uh, Josh Mandel that question individually. I asked each of them that question, but uh, when I asked Josh, will you support the eventual winner of this if it isn't you, and he said absolutely he would. So let's see if he's a man of his word there, because it got ugly in the in the last week, week and a half, as Vance <clears throat> bought that you know that, that $3.5 million worth of TV advertising, and, and Mandel went just as strong. It got ugly, the campaign ads against one another. They were very, very vicious. They were calling each other frauds and, 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 on, and on down the line. So hopefully Josh Mandel is going to honor his original word on that yeah i would hope so you know what's going to be interesting is to see what rob portman says now you know the last week on the trail actually the last weekend on the trail i think we talked about this bob my understanding was behind the scenes the the you know high republican party and party leaders were um really you know uh taking support that was for jane and starting to direct it at you know anti-jd um uh, messaging in the hopes that they could, you know, support Matt Dolan. Well, you have um, Rob Portman on the trail saying, hey, J.D. Vance is not the guy who can beat Tim Ryan um, in the general election. You know, he's not the guy. Well, I'm interested to hear what Rob Portman says today. Is he the guy now? Um, Because he's really the only hope that, that, that you have going forward. Yeah, and and as much as I said I would never vote for um, Mike DeWine, uh, and I won't, um, I will support J.D. Vance in this race against Tim Ryan. Because here's the thing, and and I'll end it with this, Jack. Um, There is a 100% guaranteed chance that Tim Ryan will vote leftist on every major bill that comes before the Senate. Every single one, whether it's packing the court, whether it's D.C. statehood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, he will vote leftist 100% of the time. If there's a 10% chance that J.D. Vance will vote on the right side, the correct side, uh, then that's better than a 0% chance, and people need to consider that going forward. 100%. I'll quickly say this. Uh, Tim Ryan is a guy who says, hey, losing one life is too many with COVID. Mask up, get your vaccine. Also the same guy who goes, yay, abortions, let's pack the court. Let's make sure this decision doesn't get overturned. He's either dumb or duplicitous. Absolutely, J.D. Vance is the solution. Well said there. Jack Windsor, uh, the editor-in-chief and the founder of the Ohio Press Network. Good stuff, Jack. Thank you for the analysis. Thanks, Bob. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. With Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Always Right Radio, online at alwaysright.us. Check it out for the uh, most convenient, efficient sourcing of conservative news and views that you're going to find online, alwaysright.us. Welcome as hour number two is underway now at seven minutes past 10 o'clock on this Wednesday, uh, primary reaction day. We're going to take a break. On this fourth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022, uh, from the J.D. Vance, Mike DeWine, Frank LaRose victories. We'll talk more about that with Neil McCabe coming up at the top of the next hour from the Ohio Star. Let's talk now about terrorism. It's been a while since we've really talked about terrorism, and there's a pretty good reason right now. And that's Bill O'Reilly's new book. It's called Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists. Reporting on the intense global war and manhunt against terrorist extremists that not only carried out the attacks on 9-11, but also executed hundreds of others, both on American soil and globally. Killing the Killers, the latest in the extraordinary record-setting series of killing books by Bill O'Reilly, who joins us right now on AM 1420, The Answer. Bill O., good to have you back here in Cleveland. How are you? 
Thanks for having me in, Bob. I'm fine. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Uh, well, we're trying mm-hmm. to actually we're trying to figure out how we're doing. Got some very strange results yesterday in the uh, primaries here in Ohio, which maybe we can talk about when we're done talking about the killers, uh, sure. and also, of course, the assault on uh, on the uh, judiciary and the Supreme Court uh, by way of leak a couple of days ago. I'm sure you'll have thoughts on that. But Bill, I want to talk about killing the killers. You know. Um, you open this book, obviously, with the biggest and most important manhunt for a terrorist that the United States has ever engaged in, which is the hunt for Osama bin Laden, the raid that finally took him down. It's a tremendous uh, telling, a step-by-step, moment-by-moment uh, recounting of the bin Laden raid. Tell our listeners a little bit about what went into that and then the way things went down and why uh, that, of course, is the most important piece, I think, of, uh, of the fight against terrorism is taking out uh, the leader of al-Qaeda. Yeah, the reason I wrote this book, Bob, is because Americans really don't know what's being done in their name to defend them. And the reason is that there is no real reporting on scene. Um, and so we are relied on the government to tell us. But we were able to get uh, national security advisors all the way from Bush the Younger up to the end of Trump to then walk us through the varying uh, campaigns against the jihadists. Mm-hmm. So there's no white supremacists in this book. This is, a, this is about the Muslim fanatics who want to kill Americans and Europeans for no reason at all other than they're terrorists, and that's what they do. So the Bin Laden raid was an interesting. Hey, hey Bill. Hey, Bill to... Before, hey, Bill. Before you go on with sure. that, did did you consider that when you titled the book "The Secret War Against Terrorists"? Because it yes, is, because you... we yeah. Before we put anything down, we had to do the research, and the research was extraordinary. It's the best reporting I've ever done in my life, Bob. Killing the Killers is the best reporting I've ever done because I was able to persuade these people to talk to me. Um, and lay out exactly what's happening, all the way from bin Laden's demise to Afghanistan. We we closed the book with the Biden botch in Afghanistan that led to the deaths of the servicemen in the Kabul airport. Right. And along the way, we tell you exactly how Soleimani got whacked, how al-Baghdadi got tracked down, all the Boko Haram stuff in Africa going on to this, and all of this terrorism going on to this day. This is not like over. And then perhaps the most relevant thing is we show you the weapon systems that we have that vaporize these people, and that's a constraint on Putin because Putin knows what our weapons are, and Russia does not have what we have, and neither does China. But Americans have no idea what kind of weaponry we have in space and how it works when we tell them in Killing the Killers. But anyway, in the Bin Laden raid... We And we do this in all the killing books. Killing the Killers is the 11th killing book, 19 million copies of my books in print, the most successful nonfiction book series of all time. That's Why? Because we put you there. So you, the reader, are in the compound when the seals storm it, minute by minute. And I'll just give you a teaser. It wasn't the Bin Laden men that put up the ferocious resistance. It was the women in the compound who did that. It's an incredible thing. And again, people, you might have seen the movie and this and that, but you don't really know what happened until you read Killing the Killers. Um, 
Bill, I, I hate to go out of order here, but you just said something I want to follow up now or, because I know I, I will forget later. When you just talked about, you know, you, you wrap with the, the Afghanistan debacle and the withdrawal, and then you talked about the, the weapons we have and the tools that we have, um, which should keep Putin at bay. Do you think that the current government, and, and I'm not trying to be terribly partisan here, uh, after all, it was the Obama administration that eventually was, was in power when they found bin Laden, and as you recounted that. But is the current government and the current military and the current Pentagon equipped to carry out these kinds of ops um, the way that perhaps past administrations or past variations of our, of our military and our intelligence agencies were? The answer is yes, um, because the Pentagon is, doesn't get involved with uh, the terror war until the CIA and NSA present the intel to them. They, they're not making the calls. So the presidents are making the calls, the individual people. Biden is diminished, so you assume it's the Biden National Security Advisor, Sullivan, uh, making the calls. The Biden uh, people got uh, an ISIS big shot about a month ago. But the structure is, and again, Americans don't understand this, Homeland Security didn't have anything to do with this war. Nothing. Because they botched the border. They don't know what they're doing. It's, a, it's obvious that Homeland Security is a catastrophe here. All of the directed hits on the jihadists come out of the CIA, which is relatively effective and hasn't changed since Trump. So the same people that were working for Trump are working for Biden, and they're the ones that make the calls. Bill, the reason I asked that, though, and and you, you brought up not just Biden, and you talk about the NATSEC, uh, you know, uh, National Security Advisors, you talk about the Pentagon is. The, the the Pentagon has gone out of their way. Lloyd Austin has gone out of his way, as have has the uh, uh, Homeland Security Secretary and others, uh, declaring that the greatest threat this country faces is not Islamic terrorism, which you cover so thoroughly in this book, but it is domestic terrorism. It is that's they, ridiculous. They straight white men and militias. Yeah, and it's so absurd. Forth. Everybody knows that's propaganda. Look, the Biden administration. Any thinking person, doesn't matter whether you're conservative or liberal, doesn't matter. These are people who cannot run the country. They fail in everything. Thank God there's a wall between them and the national intelligence apparatus. Yeah, there's white supremacists, Bob. They're around, but I assume the FBI has a tag on them like they always have. They miss McBay, and Oklahoma City went up. But since that time, these white supremacists are kept in a very tight jar. And there's not a lot of them. And they're not real subtle, these people. They're on the Internet with their neo-Nazi garbage. And the FBI surveils them. And, and I assume has them under control because we don't really see a lot of action from the white supremacists, do we? No, we don't, and that's the reason I ask, because despite that fact... It's all garbage, it's all propaganda. But despite that fact, that is where they say their focus is, and that our focus must be. And if they're focusing on them, then they're not focusing on the fundamental Islamists. That's my point, though. But it isn't true. Number one, they use white supremacists to try to divide the country and scare the country, and it's bogus. It's It's an issue that doesn't exist to the extent that people should be worried about it. Agreed. Number two... 
Biden doesn't know what he's doing. As I said, he doesn't know what he's doing. Al-Qaeda is reconstituting in Afghanistan, as everybody predicted would happen. It's happening. But the NSA knows where they are, monitors everything they do. They can't even use the telephone, Al-Qaeda. And ISIS is back in western Iraq. Again, U.S. intel knows that. Biden may not know it. He's disassociated with the process. Most Americans don't understand how disassociated Joe Biden is with the day-to-day in America. He's not involved. He doesn't, he doesn't have the capacity to be involved, which is the frightening thing. We're talking to Bill O'Reilly, whose uh, tremendous no-spin news broadcast is weeknights at 8 and 11 on The First TV. It's a new media network. It's available all over the place on a lot of digital platforms as well, Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and more. And, of course, the O'Reilly Update is weekdays uh, on more than 225 radio stations, including this one every day at 11.45 as we uh, uh, wrap my program And we're talking about Killing the Killers, the secret war against terrorists, Bill O'Reilly's latest, and this is about the secret war. When you call it a secret war, I mean, I kind of figure everybody knows we're hunting for Al-Qaeda and we're hunting for ISIS, and and now there's ISIS-K through the the course of the last 20 years. When you talk about a secret war, did you make a special focus, Bill, on things that don't make the papers, things that are being done uh, outside of the knowledge of the general public? The whole book is that. So Americans don't know that today there might be a, a firefight on the ground in Africa between U.S. Special Forces and Boko Haram. That can happen today. It happens frequently. So we have U.S. military on the ground in Africa hunting down ISIS and Boko Haram. No one knows because there aren't any reporters there. Americans are being killed. We recount a firefight in Africa where a number of Americans were killed. They come back to Dover, Delaware. They're buried by their families. Everything is classified. Nobody knows how they were killed. And that's how it goes down. That's why the subtitle is The Secret War Against Terrorists, because Americans don't know this. How could they? Unless the government decides to tell you, as you know, Biden did a few weeks ago with the ISIS guy, How would anybody know? And we were just lucky enough to get access to these national security people who wanted the American public to know what was being done in their name to protect them. Yet, Bill, the, 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 I think the beauty of this book, or one of the, one of the more interesting aspects, is the things that we knew that were not a secret, you get the details of. For example, you mentioned Soleimani a few minutes ago, one of the most high-profile uh, uh, killings of a, you know, of a terrorist leader that we have ever had. Uh, Americans knew about it, but they didn't know what went into it. They didn't know the specifics. You cover the complete history and the things on the inside that we didn't find out about, right? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a minute-by-minute on Soleimani. Um, Here's how he got waxed. And, I mean, we have a picture. The only thing left of Soleimani after the USA hit him in Iraq was a finger with a ring on it. That was it. He was vaporized. And that's how they identified Soleimani. He had a special ring. And we have a picture of it in Killing the Killers. That's how powerful the weapons are. But again, we we take you through exactly how it happens, like a thriller, um, and that's never before been put forth in the public arena. 
Bill, I you know as I look at this, uh, and and I've looked at so many of your other books, uh, could could you make the argument this this is the most important killing book in the series? I mean, killing killing JFK is history. Killing Lincoln, killing Jesus, those are history. This is active. Killing the killers yeah, is not only right done; now. it's ongoing, right? Certainly, the most contemporized of all my books, and it does have a very uh, relevant uh, theme to it because of Putin. So. The weaponry that we have that we describe in Killing the Killers that no American really knows about, I mean, I'll just give you another teaser, the space weapons that we have are run out of Nevada. That's where the trigger is. People don't know that. And um, so Putin knows what we have. So does she in China. So does the nut in North Korea. They know. Uh, And they don't have those weapons, those countries. And that constrains a guy like Putin. Putin would be doing far worse if we didn't have these space weapons that could vaporize him in 20 minutes. And the reason we don't use it is obviously that could trigger a nuclear war. Right. But that is a deterrent, and that is a protection, another layer of protection for the American people. Not to be flippant about it, but it was almost a nuclear blast that came down a couple of nights ago when Politico reported on the uh, the leaking of the draft opinion of the Supreme Court on Roe versus Wade. Bill, everybody has a thought. I want yours because of your astute analysis of these things through the years. How dangerous is this for the judiciary going forward? Well, look, I'm not surprised this happened. A lot of people are. I mean, we live in a time where there's no loyalty, no rules. Um, fanatics are everywhere. They will hurt you. They will lie. They will do everything. It's just the way of the country right now. Um, I think this is a big story for another month when the ruling comes out in June by the Supreme Court. Um, abortion's not going to be banned. Each state will decide what uh, the abortion limits or no limits, like in New York where I am, have no limits on it at all. Each state will decide for itself. That's what's going to happen. A lot of people are concerned that this will hurt the Republican Party in November, um, that the F will make a big deal out of this. They'll try, but I can't see it overriding the economic pain that every American is experiencing now because of the incompetency of Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. I can't see abortion rising to that level. But it will be a major story. I wrote a message of the day on BillOReilly.com. I'd like everybody to read it. It doesn't matter whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. It's about the science, Bob. All we heard under COVID was the science, right? Well, how about a little science on abortion? You want it? There it is. And I think it's important that everyone understand the medical science about do, abortion. Do you think that the goal of leaking it, which is clearly to spark some massive congressional action between now and November, the last six months of Democrat control, um, whether it be packing the courts or whether it be codifying the right to abortion in law, do you think that, because that's why they leaked this clearly, do you think that will yeah. be successful or do you think uh, everything will be held I, You know, I guess anything could happen, as they say. Uh, there are two Republican senators who might defect and vote for the abortion people, and that, those are Collins in Maine and Murkowski in Alaska. Murkowski's going to lose up there so uh, in November. So what McConnell will do is he'll try to block everything to uh, the election. I think the Republicans will take the House and the Senate, and then I'll put an end to this. Um, but, 
you know, there's going to be maneuvering. Schumer is already trying to do it. But remember, if the Supreme Court rules that Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional, which is likely to happen, five to four, Roberts will vote with the uh, liberals, um, it's going to be very difficult then to write a new law based on Roe v. Wade because the Supreme Court will just knock it right out. And that's something, again, Americans don't understand the checks and balance system. Um, And you go back to Trump. Trump understood it, and Trump put three judges in there, and that's why this is even happening. So the left is going to try, but the deck is stacked against them. We're talking to Bill O'Reilly. You'll get analysis on this and so many other things on his uh, O'Reilly update. You hear it every day right here, and it's weekdays on more than 225 radio stations. Also, the no-spin news on the first TV. Hey, Bill, before you go, what's next in the Killing Series? Do you have it eyed up already? Yeah, we have it written because the COVID backed everything up. <laughs> and so i got to put out two books this year instead of one. But I'm not going to make the announcement, Bob, until uh, after Father's Day. Because once I announce, then people steal it, steal the idea, steal the title. I mean, how many killings do you see now? We got Killing Eve on TV. Uh, I wrote a book, The United States of Trump. Now we have The United States of Larry. You know, so I guess it's a compliment a to me. Yeah, it is. Invitation, um, best but, form of flattery, right? Yeah. Everything we do is stolen, ripped off. So we want to make the announcement backed up so nobody could get something out. That would impact the next book. I can tell you the next book is way, way different than anything that we've done in the Killing series. And it is a contemporized book, somewhat. Um, because I think Americans now, um, they people, 19 million copies of my books in print, um, Bob. And the American public knows that I'm going to give them information nobody else will. No question about it. That's what makes them so popular. The latest is Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists by Bill O'Reilly. It is a, a tremendous thing. We want to book you, by the way, for the day after Father's Day when you make that announcement, okay? Can we sure, Bob. Anytime. I like talking to you. Anytime you need me, just give me a call. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. All That's right, Bill thanks, O'Reilly Jeremy. joining Thank us on AM 1420, The Answer, and Always Right Radio. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. Uh, just got word... Jim Renacci going to be joining me after the bottom of the hour. Unscheduled and unplanned, but he uh, would like to come on and talk about what happened yesterday. He lost in that primary race against uh, uh, Mike DeWine, and uh, we're going to talk to Jim Renacci. That'll be coming up after the bottom of the hour news. But we'll try to squeeze in a call or two of yours next right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, we're here at 10.30, but I want to squeeze in a call before Jim Renacci joins us after the bottom of the hour news. So John Stover, our friend from the Ohio Value Voters Organization, uh, has got some thoughts on yesterday's uh, yesterday's primary results. Hey, John, go ahead, sir. Yes, hi, Bob. You know, uh, your show, Always Right, well, you're pretty much uh, right uh, relative to what transpired yesterday. Uh, let me just state this very briefly here. I know you have Jim coming on. You know, our organization, Bob, supported Jim Renacci and Josh Mandel. Both are uh, true patriots. Regarding Josh, I heard him state last night that he will be supporting J.D. Vance. Uh, Real quick, the governor's race. Yeah, the governor's race, Bob, I'm going to tell you, uh, there is no way our organization, Ohio Valley Voters, will be supporting Mike DeWine for governor. Actually, he will receive a vote of no confidence. And when we uh, look at uh, someone to get behind and support, uh, we'll be taking a look at uh, Neil Peterson. You know, as far as the race yesterday, 
There's no doubt about it. Joe Blystone, um, you make reference to snake oil salesman. Absolutely. But one of the things that came out regarding Monday's elections uh, commission hearing is that this Dr. Douglas Frank was uh, this uh, man sitting there by the wagon, as you would the picture in the Old West, where the snake oil salesman would come up and he would give the testimonial. So that Dr. Frank went up, handed him $100 as if he was contributing. And Joe Blystone's wife said, we gave him that $100 back. That was just to urge people to contribute cash to his campaign, which uh, was uh, certainly troubling, uh, to say the least. Yeah, but um, you know this is why this is why Bobby ended up with twenty two percent. A lot of people thought that he was the answer, which he is not. Um, regarding JD Vance, let me just say this about JD Vance. Um, you know, uh, we of course, as you know, did not support JD Vance. What came out from the Ohio Gun Organization was certainly somewhat troubling. Uh, his association, and uh, however, with that being said, with that being said. As you will recall, in 2016, Bob, our organization supported Ted Cruz for president. Uh, we decided, okay, Donald Trump running for the highest office in our country, the President of the United States, he's never served. He says that he, this is how he will govern. This is how he will, uh, his uh, White House will handle issues facing our country. And I think all of us would say we've been extremely pleased. I would say to your listeners, we are going to look at J.D. Vance. He has no record. I know he's going to be stating these are his positions, and then we'll make a decision whether we're going to endorse J.D. Vance or not. But I would say that seeing that well, he has no record, it's certainly something we need to take a close look at. Well, here's the thing I would say in response, John Stover, and thank you so much for your call and your thoughts on all of that. we got Jim Renacci coming up. Uh, I don't care if he doesn't have a record. I know Tim Ryan's record, and I guarantee you what he's going to vote like in the United States Senate if he is there. I'd rather have I don't know how J.D. will vote, versus I know how leftist uh, Tim Ryan will vote. So I hope you and the others uh, will come around and endorse J.D. Vance uh, because there's at least a shot there. If it's a 5% chance, it's better than a 0% chance that we get the right results. We'll come back with Jim Renacci after the news. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 1037 Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. Just to uh, follow up on what I said to John Stover, I truly do not believe it is hypocritical to take the stand I am taking where I said I will not support Mike DeWine in the general election, despite his status as a Republican on paper, but I will support J.D. Vance in the general election against Tim Ryan. And the reason why is... I know there will be at least a chance that J.D. Vance will give us a few conservative votes on important Senate issues. At least a shot. I have no shot. None. If Tim Ryan is an Ohio senator alongside Sherrod Brown, it is a complete disaster for Ohio and for the country if Tim Ryan is there. When it comes to the governor's race now between Mike DeWine and Nan Whaley, there is no difference between the two. There is no chance, because Mike DeWine has proven he's got a record. He's a Republican on paper. He's got a Republican name tag. And that's it. Other than that, he has governed like a Democrat. Nan Whaley will govern like a Democrat. I get no benefit whatsoever from Mike DeWine. None. So while I will encourage Ohio voters to, you know, circle the wagons around J.D. Vance, or better yet, my better analogy as I've made before, in Trump uh, versus Clinton, when I was, I would like John Stover, I was a Ted Cruz guy, 
My analogy was, let's build that wall that Trump was talking about. But rather than the wall on the border, build the wall between Hillary and the White House. Every vote is a brick in a wall that separates Hillary from the White House. So we vote Trump. Obviously, it turned out to be great advice because he was a tremendous success as president. Well, I'm going to say the same thing about J.D. Vance. Build a wall between Tim Ryan and the Senate. Even if you don't like him, even if you liked Mandel or Gibbons or whatever, vote to keep Tim Ryan and another part of the Democrat majority out of the Senate. I hold no such feelings about the governor, the governor situation. All right, joining us now, as promised, uh, is a uh, former now, it's weird to say that, gubernatorial candidate, but after the uh, primary votes came in yesterday, uh, Jim Renacci did not win in his attempt to boot uh, Mike DeWine from Columbus, but he joins us now to talk about what went down. Uh, Mr. Renacci, good morning. How are you? Well, good morning, Bob, and thank you. And, you know, a lot of people always wonder what the guy does after the next morning after he loses, and uh uh, what I can tell you I've been doing is I've never quit, and I'm now looking at numbers, and I'm looking at things and saying, okay, what happened, um, how this all occurred. But first I want to thank all the supporters and volunteers that I had. That that was uh, a remarkable, and, and we gave it the best shot. But remember, incumbents win 97% of the time, and that's that was the battle we were up against. Senator Portman once told me, you know, Renee, I've never lost a race. And he looked at me because I never ran against an incumbent either. Well, I've run against four incumbents, uh, and I've defeated two. So, uh, um, you know, if you don't get into the fight, you don't change things, and I'm a big believer in that. But um, I wanted to give you some numbers because I, I, I was listening. I've been listening to your show this morning. Uh, first off, uh, there are 8 million voters in the state of Ohio, 1.6 million Dems, 1.9 million Republicans, and 4.5 million unaffiliated. But here's what's interesting. In 2018, there were only 827,000 Republican votes cast in the governor's race. In 2020, uh, there were 713,000 votes cast. Uh, but yesterday, there were 1,068,000 votes cast, which means even our models, every model we had said that the maximum amount of votes that would be cast in yesterday's election would have been 934,000. You heard me talk about that multiple times. That was the maximum anticipated, yet we got to 1,068,000 votes. That's 60% of registered Republicans. That's an impossible number when, uh, now I'm going to say impossible in this sense. It's an impossible number when we had low turnout across the state. But it is not an impossible number if you have Democrats crossing over. And I do believe there was a significant surge of Democrats crossing over. It's one of the reasons Dolan surged. It's one of the reasons DeWine ended up winning, because um, if you take the average, it's kind of interesting. If you just average the last two primaries, we had 298,000 more than the average, and DeWine only defeated me by 215. So I'm not saying that this would have changed anything. I just want your listeners to realize that we do have a problem in Ohio, and it's that Democrats can make the decision on who wins in these primaries. Um, what would it other, take, I'm sorry, just to hit follow up on that, what would it take to close Ohio's primaries so Democrats can, can't come in and subvert? You know, it's funny, they always scream, you know, it's an attack on democracy. This is an attack. Anything that they disagree with is an attack on democracy. But then they, they literally uh, attack democracy when they go to the other party's primaries 
and cast votes in order to uh, assist themselves and their party uh, down the line. I, I find that to be an attack on democracy. What would it take to close uh, the primaries? Do you have any idea? Well, it's funny. I was talking about this morning with somebody else, and you know, we probably need a constitutional amendment because, let's face it, our legislators will not do that because they want the legislators want the open primaries because it benef- uh, it, it benefits the incumbent. It always benefits the incumbent. So. All of these changes have to be done outside of the incumbency, and I'm going to look into it. I mean, I, I think I told you on the radio, your radio show last week or earlier that this week that it's one of the things we have to do. We have to eliminate this open primary, and it it, it actually showed up uh, yesterday. So it's a uh, it's another another problem. The other issue that I think is important is there's no doubt that approximately 20 percent of Republicans are going to vote for anti-anything if you've, you know, and they don't care who the voter, they don't care who the person is. And let's face it, uh, one of my opponents, Joe Blystone, was not qualified to be governor. He was not qualified to be governor. Now, he ran a race against everything, and 22% of Republicans voted for him. Now, that was higher than I expected to. Our models actually said 20, so it wasn't much higher. But it was a little higher. We knew getting in that this anti-everything vote. But what your listeners have to understand is that the anti-everything vote can't win. It just can't win unless it combines with, you know, a a legitimate opportunity to win. And I think that's where we failed yesterday as well. So Mm -hmm. I I look at this. I see a fractured party. In fact, I, I did call Mike DeWine and congratulated him on his victory. But I told him. You now have a party that is fractured seriously, and uh, I don't know how you fix that. Uh, and, and you know, well, he you can't fix that. He's the one who fractured it. I mean, in large but, uh, <laughs> part, not just him, but but you know, his friends and cronies in the ORP, uh, the ones who engineered that ridiculous endorsement for him, uh, people like Bob Paduchik. I mean, the party is fractured because they broke it. They are the ones who did that, and there is no way it's going to come together. Let me ask you, uh, Congressman. Uh, well, again, you're still still a former Congressman. Um, I, I asked all of the Senate candidates um, during this campaign if they would support the eventual winner if it wasn't them, and every single one of them said yes. I don't expect you to support Mike DeWine. Uh, I'm not going to, uh, and I'll ask you, and you can answer it however you wish, but I don't think Mike DeWine is good for Ohio, and I don't think you believe he is either, and even if it means being, quote-unquote, you know, loyal to the party, being a loyal Republican and supporting the eventual Republican winner, I, I, I would not hold you to voting and support for and supporting Mike DeWine. How do you see that? Well, Bob, I've said this publicly already. In 2018, when I left this governor's race, the one in the Senate race, and had to vote. Um, I did not vote for Mike DeWine. I did not vote for Cordray either. I said in my heart of all hearts that I cannot vote for somebody that I ran against who I knew was not good for the party, and I knew it was not good for the state. And that was in 2018. So I said that publicly because I said, look, you all who voted for him didn't realize that he was not going to be the right person, and I could not vote for that person. I didn't vote for Cordray. It's the first time I've left a, a, a spot blank. Um, but if you understand my thought process in 2018, you probably understand my thought process in 2022. I'll just leave it at that. That it's hard. It's hard to elect. And I said this on the campaign trail. Look, we know Nan Whaley's a Democrat. 
Absolutely. We know she's a Democrat. And you can't vote for a Democrat. I won't vote for a Democrat. But I also can't vote for a Republican who in many ways is a Democrat. So uh, I guess Mike DeWine will have a few months to convince me, but um, I can tell you that, and, and, and it's too late in, in many ways, but I'm not voting for a Republican who's a Democrat, uh, and I don't care who they are. And by the way, that goes for Senate candidates. That goes for, I got to look. I mean, I, I guess I've learned through all of this that the only way to fix the party is to not vote for the party, but to vote for the person. And if you and, and if you really believe that that person is not going to meet the responsibilities and the requirements of the Republican Party to for lesser government, uh, lower taxes, no infringement on our rights, my opinion is I don't care if they have the R after them, you can't vote for that person. We're talking to former congressman and former gubernatorial candidate, now Jim Renacci, uh, on AM 1420, The Answer. Um, this might be an unfair question to ask you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You said, you know, Mike DeWine's got six months to change your mind. I don't think he can ever change my mind. In fact, I know he'll never change my mind because I've got 40 years of experience watching this guy in public <laughs> office that tells me what he is and who he is. He's not going to change that in six months. Um, so my question to you is, do you know anything at all about Neil Peterson? And would you, even as a loyal Republican, consider voting for an independent candidate? And you said you didn't vote for anybody at all last time around between DeWine and Cordray, but would you consider somebody like Neil Peterson? Well, I hope Neil Peterson gets on. Look, Neil is a conservative. Um, I, the sad thing is, and I talked to Neil the other day, he, I think he's turning in his ballots with 5,000 signatures. I can tell you that um, that's probably not going to make the ballot. You you need 5,000 good signatures, which means you probably need to turn in 7,000 signatures. Uh, but I do think, and I and I said this in one of my uh, endorsement meetings, they said, are you going to vote for Mike DeWine? And I said, I'm going to vote for the most conservative Republican on the ballot in November. So I'm going to hold my vote until I see who that is. <laughs> and quite frankly, um, conservative is the key. <laughs> so... Uh, Neil Peterson would be a conservative Republican if he makes well, the ballot. That is exactly. Yeah, that is exactly how I think so many Ohioans feel. If you're conservative, it's not about the R, really. It's about the C. It's about conservative, not just Republican, because, again, you can wear the badge that says Republican like uh, like Mike DeWine does and so many others, but it's another thing to be an actual conservative. Uh, a couple more quick ones, uh, Mr. Renacci, if I can, before you go. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on what happened in that Senate race? You have a lot of experience, obviously, you ran against Sherrod. Uh, again, another fight against an incumbent, which is very, very difficult. Uh, it's a lot different than you know, maybe if you would have run this time in the Senate race against uh, or uh, uh, without uh, uh, an incumbent, you know, trying to keep his seat in Rob Portman. But uh, what is your opinion on the outcome here that J.D. Vance got the nod, uh, obviously, a week and a half after President Trump gave him that endorsement? Well, look, um, if I ranked Senate candidates, J.D. would not be at the bottom, um, but he wouldn't be at the top either. So uh, what, same but, here. But here's yeah. So. But here's what I would say about that, and here's where I still believe we need to change our system. Because really, if you take the two top vote-getters, it was J.D. Vance and uh, Josh Mandel, and I think there should have been a runoff. And then the runoff would have told us who is the better candidate. Again, 38%. Think about this. We're putting a Republican up with 38% of the vote. Um, Not a majority, and clearly not a a full majority, uh, not even close, and yet 
we're going to give that individual the banter of uh, uh, of being the Republican nominee. Um, I think in the end, I tell everybody, everybody has a history, even if they don't have a voting history. You can go back in someone's life and know whether they were pro-life. Did they stand in lifelines? Did they, you know, support pregnancy centers? You can tell whether they're pro-gun. You know, do they have a do they have a permit? Do they shoot? Um, all of this stuff. I think everybody has an imprint in life. I called it. I said it when it was a, when it was my opponent in the governor's race. I said, you know, Blystone has an imprint. It's not good. Look back at his imprint. I think what you have to do with J.D. Vance is you have to look at his imprint in life. What has he done? Who's he hung around with? Who are his friends? And then you have to make that decision. Now, I would also agree that um, sure, uh, he's running against Tim Ryan, who does have a um, imprint and a voting record, yes, he does. Uh, which is kind of interesting because if you go back to if you go back to Tim Ryan, he was pro-life at one point in time, and he was pro-Second Amendment. He changed when he became. Now I'm not saying I support Tim Ryan, but, but I'm, I just say those are the things you have to look at. That imprint and JD has an imprint. I think people need to take a good hard look at his imprint and then make that decision. I don't think there's ever a problem not voting. What, I, I don't think elections are binary anymore. I'm telling you that changed over time. I used to think you always vote for the lesser of two evils. Today I believe you have to vote for the right candidate for your background, your experience, your beliefs, and sometimes both candidates don't meet that, and you leave it blank. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on that one, and one of the few times I have disagreed with you, um, as I kind of said in my introduction, when it was came to uh, the, the 2016 race, I was very much pro-Cruz and some other people in the primary and very much not pro-Trump. But once he got the nomination, it was very, very clear to me, while he may not be perfect and he may end up being a New York liberal, which he was his entire career up until the time he ran as a Republican, um, I knew, you talk about imprints, I knew what Hillary Clinton was going to bring. I knew the devastation she would bring to this country as president, so I decided to cast a vote to build a wall to separate her from the White House. I feel the same thing here, and in probably all cases. I think we have a duty to pick somebody, even if that person isn't going to be everything we want in a representative or legislator. If he gives me a chance, or she gives me a chance of getting what I want as a constitutional conservative person, then I'm going to cast that vote just to keep the, the, the one that I know is going to destroy me away from the office so i feel like i feel like we have to cast votes um and while i will not vote for nan whaley nor mike dewine i will vote for neil peterson if he gets on the ballot or i'll write jim or nacy in if i have to i'm going to cast a vote uh that is going to that is going to you know at least have my small impact on on the outcome well look i don't want anybody to think that i'm not voting for jd vance i just said that i think you have to look at the imprint i now need to digest where, where i believe he is and make that decision because Quite frankly, I didn't see him at the top, you know, as one of the top two contenders until, and and he wasn't until Trump gave him the nod and uh, and pushed him through there. There were many people that I've talked to in the last week that said, I wanted nothing to do with J.D. Vance because Trump endorsed him. I'm going to vote for him. And wow, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that did propel him. 
Yeah, I saw that. Although he was climbing a bit, uh, because for the the vast majority of this campaign season, he was you know around third place. It was uh, it was always Mandel and then Gibbons and then Vance, and then it became Gibbons for a while on top, and then Mandel and then Vance. But in a couple of polls right before the Trump endorsement, he had risen into a place where he was second, very close with with Mandel, who had retaken the lead from Gibbons. So he was climbing a bit, but clearly the Trump endorsement pushed him way over the top. There's no doubt about that, and. Uh, I'm sure that will carry a lot of weight for, with people as they make their decision uh, on what to do in this general election as well. Uh, well, well Mr. Bob, Nace, never, never yeah. forget, money money does drive elections, and, and J.D. Vance really did start to dump the uh, – Peter Till, I should say, started to dump the money in at the end, and that really yeah. does move the needle. And, and by the way, my, uh, Mike DeWine dumped in $6 million in the last two and a half weeks, so – um, money does drive the needle sometimes. Well, you're right, and guess what? The Democrats are extraordinarily well-heeled uh, uh, for Tim Ryan in this thing, too. This is going to be the most expensive race, I think, probably in the country uh, in terms of what each, both sides are going to spend. So if money is going to decide the outcome, uh, I hope, uh, you know, for the first time, I hope Peter Thiel keeps coming with it because it's going to take <laughs> something to stop Tim Ryan's money from buying the election. So... Uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny how things shift when you go from a primary to a general. But Jim Renacci, thank you for being a class act all the way through. There was a lot of negative campaigning. You didn't engage in it. I think you were honest the whole way through. You had the support of true conservative Ohioans. And I hope this isn't the end for you, but I won't make you answer that right now. We'll talk about that down the line. Thank you so much, sir. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. That's Jim Renacci. Uh Will it be the end of the line? He's run for a lot of races. He's won races. He's lost races. He's had some... Uh, uh, some uphill climbs. I hope it's not the last for Jim Renacci because I th- still think he has a lot to offer the people of Ohio. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we roll into hour number three, seven minutes past 11 o'clock. It's a Wednesday, the fourth morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. It's also primary reaction day. What happened? I've absolutely got to thank the 45th, the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Ladies and gentlemen. One forgiveness example of what could be in this country. Ladies and gentlemen, remember 2019 when wages were going up? and not down. Remember 2019 when workers were doing well in this country, not struggling terribly. Thanks to the president for everything, for endorsing me. And I got to say, a lot of the fake news media out there, and, and, and there are some good ones in the back there, there's some bad ones too, let's be honest. But they wanted to write a story that this campaign would be the death 
of Donald Trump's America First agenda. Ladies and gentlemen, it ain't the death of the America First agenda. J.D. Vance celebrating his primary win last night at his campaign headquarters in Cincinnati, and that is where we are. If you were a Mandel fan, if you were a Gibbons fan, if you were a Dolan or a Timken fan, uh, are you going to put aside your loyalties and your questioning of Vance's sincerity after his years of criticism of Donald Trump and America First? Are you going to set that aside in order to stop the Democrats from picking up and flipping a red seat to a blue one? Joining us now to analyze that and more, including the governor's outcome, is our good friend Neil McCabe. He's a reporter for the Ohio Star at theohiostar.com. Neil, good morning. Hey, good morning, Bob. What a night, huh? Yeah, it was something all right. Uh, (laughs) I'm still trying to process it all. Um, The one thing I think we can state very clearly is that President Trump still holds sway in this state. His endorsement of Frank LaRose led to uh, uh, a, a pretty mar- uh, pretty sizable victory over John Adams at Secretary of State, despite the quid pro quo nature of that endorsement. And, of course, his endorsement of J.P. Mandel, or, I mean, yeah, J, uh, J, J, D, uh, uh, the guy that we, uh, yeah, who we endorse? That guy <laughs> carried some weight as well because it wasn't close, really, uh, a good seven points or so uh, in front of Josh Mandel. This is still cr- Trump country in the Buckeye State, isn't it, Neil? Yeah, well, of course, uh, I predicted the big uh, Dolan holding on to his five to seven, and that, uh, that turned out to be absolutely wrong. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of things are in play. I think, uh, number one, you've talked about this before, that, you know, Trump, in a bizarre way, often endorses the candidates who are actually the anti-Trump candidates. Uh, and we've seen, you know, and it's like LaRose was trying to do in everything in Georgia that Raffensperger was doing. It's just that the legislature wouldn't allow him. And, you know, John Adams, I would suggest him and certainly his supporters were, were the base, the Trump base. But again, you see with the, the power of the Trump name is, uh, you know, Republic, you know, Ohio is not really a Republican state. It's a Trump or not Trump state. And that's basically every campaign, every primary for the next probably uh, five, ten years is going to be run, uh, whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. Uh, I expect Tim Ryan to basically be running on a Ryan Vance ticket, basically running the same ads that Vance has run. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement. So, um, tell me what, tell me what you think led to this because didn't you say to me last week, Neil, and correct me if I'm mistaken, I talked to a lot of people. I thought you said to me that the Trump endorsement came at a time when he didn't need, Vance didn't need the endorsement because he was already surging, uh, in the polls and had climbed from third, fourth for a while, third to almost a tie for the top, uh, before that endorsement was even given, right? Yeah. And it really speaks to, uh, the power of these debates. Where you know I, I really don't enjoy these candidate debates at all, but you get these moments, and I think that in Virginia you've had a Glenn Youngkin who is trailing Terry McAuliffe. The the Texas abortion law came out. Glenn, uh, Glenn Youngkin refused to comment on the abortion law. He was hiding under his desk. He was flailing. The press was going after him like hounds. And then McAuliffe decided that. Uh, <laughs> teachers are more important than parents on the stage, and it was game over. And I think that that moment with, uh, you know, Gibbons and obviously, you know, Jeff Rowe had told Mendel going into it, find an excuse to stand up and challenge Gibbons and be sure to mention you were in Iraq. And it basically imploded both men. 
You know, I think that's a great analysis. It did. Although, um, you know, Mandel kind of found his sea legs again after that. He recovered from it more than Gibbons did, even though Mandel was the aggressor. Yes. And I think Mandel I think, was, yeah. yeah, was I think he was the and one I who, who was responsible for that. But he, he rose right back up, and it was neck and neck between Mandel and Vance over the last week. You know, of course, Jeff Rowe, of course, uh, brought in uh, Ted Cruz, another Jeff Rowe client, and I think that stabilized. And I, I watched uh, some of the town meetings with uh, Cruz and Mandel, and I thought they were very well done. I think that Gibbons was sort of shell shocked by the whole thing, and he just he just didn't have he didn't have a next step. And I think people sensed that he didn't have a next step, whereas Mandel had the drive to just to drive through it and. You know, run through the tape, and to his credit, he ran through the tape. Yeah, he he did exactly that. We're talking with Neil McCabe. He is a reporter for the Ohio Star. He's a regular Wednesday commentator on what's going on in the uh, state uh, state politics and beyond. Sometimes, um, let's let's shift over. Um, I've been talking all morning, and a lot of people last night were talking about what the numbers showed in the governor's race. Uh, some people said, hey, it doesn't matter that Blystone didn't drop. Even if you add Blystone and Renacy together, if every single voter for them would have voted for you know, just Renacy, he still would have been in a one-point fight there with Mike DeWine. It wasn't even close. Um, speak to that, Neil, and then add into it the, the Democrat factor, that they literally publicized their intent to tell as many Democrat voters who didn't have very many tough races at all on their side of the primary card to go ahead and take a Republican ballot in an open primary system and vote for the two most Democrat-like candidates, which were DeWine in the governor's race and Dolan in the uh, in the Senate race. Well, let's first talk about Joe Blystone. His, his ethical problems, his campaign finance problems are a matter of public record. His, I would suggest that his very report are prima facie evidence of misconduct and a mishandling and a misreporting that his campaign finance is like, is their train wreck. And however, uh, you know, <laughs> people believe in him. And a lot of times people have come up to me about different candidates and they say, this guy's crooked or this guy, you know, he did this, that, or the other thing. And I'll look right at him and I said, yeah, but your guy wants to take away my gun. Your guy doesn't want to ban abortion. My guy wants to ban abortion, and, you know, generally, I kind of think, you know, I would rather ban abortion and then figure out later on uh, how much this guy stole or his friend stole. I mean, there's an agenda involved, and when you get in these times, like we're in right now, the other issues, the paperwork and the process and the rigmarole and the red tape, people are so frustrated. Blystone plugged into that frustration, and you see where he... Just absolutely, in the places he won, he won big. And and there was no way Renacy was going to shake that. Renacy tried an insider strategy going after the likely Republican voters, identify the Republicans who voted in 2018, energize them, convince them, identify them, get them out. Uh, if, that, if that program was going to work, it has to be connected to a get-out-the-vote campaign where you're actually getting people to fill out their ballots or you're picking, you're, you know, like old school, right, where you send out the vans and you knock on the doors and they say, you haven't voted yet, get in the van. I'm not sure he had the get-out-the-vote operation that that insider strategy required. Whereas DeWine got, what, $5 million from uh, the Republican Governors Association, which is really a trade organization. It's not even a political action committee. 
uh, you know, he got millions from the Republican Party of Ohio before he was even endorsed. And, of course, he was giving out, you know, how many billions did he give away for Intel and everything else? I think DeWine was able to coast because of the cult status of a Blystone, that that support wasn't going to move, and Renacy didn't have a complete strategy. If you're going to go insider, you have to have get out the vote. So the question that has been asked uh, on this program today is, will Ohio GOP voters who were pro-Mandel, pro-Gibbons, pro-Dolan circle the wagons around Vance in order to uh, advance uh, past Tim Ryan? And then I'll ask you this, since we're talking about the governor, is do you, do you yeah. think Renacy and Blystone people will say, well, I didn't like him, I don't like what he did, I didn't like lockdowns, I didn't like mandates, I didn't like schools being closed, but he's the Republican, I'll vote with my party. Do you think that will happen? Well, I think for all of his sins, Dolan did the right thing, and he was very gracious to Vance. And I think that I think that uh, Mandel will come around, and Gibbons will come around. And I think on the Senate Gib- side, Gibbons already did. Gibbons already did. Yeah. But I'm talking about their fans, their supporters, their voters. Gibbons, yeah. in, in fact, John Stover mm-hmm. told me this morning that Mandel has also pledged yes, he will support J.D. Vance in this uh, uh, in this fight against Tim Ryan. But I'm talking about well, their think, voters. Think about yeah. But I think you know, even the voters, it's like you know, the pitch was like. The biggest criticism in the Senate race was you're not Trumpy enough. And so I think people will rally around Trump on the Senate side. On the governor's race, you know, I, I just I just don't see how that acrimony is stitched back together. Certainly the Blystone people, they're not on the DeWine reservation. And, you know, and I just don't, I see them wandering off. Uh, to, to, you know, Blystone could even, you know, uh, you know, be a sticker campaign or something. You know, I just don't see how those Blystone people go to DeWine. And, you know, I'm not sure how much of a cult following Renacy has, but, you know, people are supporting Renacy because DeWine was a crook, you know, and because DeWine was, like, working against them. Like, DeWine, I, I was at the... Uh, was at the central committee meeting in in February when they did the uh, Republican Party endorsement, mm-hmm. and this woman stands up. She says, "Why are we endorsing a guy for governor that everyone hates?" <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, you know, it's it's like the Charge of the Light Brigade, the Republican Party, just sort of lashing themselves to Dewine into the Valley of Death Road. The six hundred. Right. So, so do those voters vote for Nan Whaley, or do they look at Neil Peterson, or do they just uh, write right in? They, Somebody, I think uh, they stay home and they write in Mickey Mouse. I, I just don't see, you know, you know. It, it, I guess what, as we get closer, as it closer becomes a binary decision, and I think one characteristic of Republican voters, uh, different from Democrats, is that towards the end, in the last week of a campaign, a Republican candidate will gain because Republicans come home. They spend months and months complaining, and then when push comes to shove, they come home. I just don't know how motivated they are. Trump's not at the top of the ticket. This is a midterm. You know, I don't. If people think, well, Vance has got it, and why should I show up for Dewine? That's a great uh, analysis. We're talking to Neil McCabe, reporter for the Ohio Star. We're getting a little bit of reaction and analysis of yesterday's prim- primary uh, voting results. So. Most conservatives and most Trump supporters, and we just saw the power of Trump, really, really did not like Frank LaRose, who refused to acknowledge that the uh, the election was stolen, if not necessarily in Ohio. It was stolen in, in a general sense and in, in other battleground states. 
But there were a lot of huge problems they had with voter inte- voting integrity in Ohio, election integrity in Ohio, and they were back in John Adams. Once again, the Trump endorsement, no matter how it was obtained, and I believe it was the quid pro quo we discussed last week, um, I think it probably carried Frank LaRose onto a big victory. The question is, does that mean that our, our voting system and our, and our, uh, election integrity stays the same? We're not going to get voter ID. We're not going to get, uh, uh, paper ballots. We're not going to get hand recounts. All of the things that so many people that John Adams basically was promising to do. I think that voters, if, if LaRose was a governor or a senator, mm-hmm. they would have held it more against them. I just think that People can't get passionate about a guy who's running. He was the secretary of state. And, 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 all, and I've seen these races all my life, and there have been people I've been committed to, but it just doesn't drive the same fire. I think people recognize LaRose, what he did, what he didn't do, and they figure, okay, he can still be saved. Maybe we can still, like, rehabilitate him. And maybe he is so pragmatic and so devoid of backbone or beliefs that when he puts his finger in the air to see which way the wind is blowing, maybe he'll come with us this time. I, you know, the, the, the record of Frank LaRose is tragic when it comes to voter integrity and running an election. And, you know, he just, you know, he got a hall pass this time. Uh, and I think if he was in a more important office, I think it would, they would have really gone after him. I think that's a fair point because not a lot of people paid attention to the Secretary of State race. I think who that's could name very... the Secretary of State? Yeah, right. Uh, although, again, you know, in 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 the post twenty twenty election stolen election world, I think more people have. I'd never heard of the yeah. name Raffensperger before. Uh, you know, the Secretary yep. of State in Georgia. People became aware of their Secretaries of State because of that. But still, not especially here in Ohio, where we didn't have the you know uh, you know a narrow Trump loss after some shenanigans and after some videos of late night ballot counting and so forth. We, you know, here in Ohio, Trump still won by eight. So people probably didn't pay as much. Bob. Yeah, right. Bob, that's the key, because there are quarterbacks who will win the Super Bowl, but they threw three interceptions. And nobody remembers the three interceptions because they won the Super Bowl. There you go. Very, very, very well said. So last thing, are Democrats uh, in Ohio celebrating results last night? Or are, uh, they, or are they more concerned? I think they really got to do some soul searching to figure out what this party is. You know, because, uh, you know, you still have uh, a hardcore progressives uh, who are, uh, you know, in your cities. And then you still you have a guy like Tim Ryan who they're not really thrilled with. You, have, you know, the idea of it, the idea that you're you're the guy at the top of your ticket is going to be running as J.D. Vance is running me and trying to out Trump Trump. You know, that's not going to thrill the left. But, you know, that's the way Ohio is. And they really they really got to figure out how they adjust. Well, that is uh, that is the question, and there's six months left. Hey, Neil, before you go, because yeah. of what, because of the fact that there are six months left of Democrat power and control, uh, that is assuming we do have free and fair elections in November. Um, in these last six months, there is huge pressure on them to do as much damage as they possibly can, and that I think is was the driver behind that Supreme Court um, uh, draft opinion leak. Uh, you better pack the court between now and then. You better codify ro- uh, uh, abortion as a as a as a right, a constitutional right. Uh, you know, before November comes, because they're going to lose it by then. They're you know they're going to lose all power. Republicans are going to c- take control of both branches or both chambers rather of con- of uh, the Congress. Um, what's your opinion on what happened with that leak? And do you think anything will get done between now and November, which was their intent? 
I think that the Biden administration is going into full-on smash and grab, and they're basically they got to get as much done as possible before someone turns out the lights in January of uh, 2023. I think that this abortion decision was already baked in. Uh, I, you know, I I just you know people. There was an article in Politico uh, last week, uh, which of course is owned by a German company now. Uh, in Politico, they were saying. Democrats are freaking out because no one's upset about Roe v. Wade being overturned. And I think there's another, there's some more soul searching. But you're right. They see that this is not going to end well for them. I see, I see the Republicans picking up 50, 60 House seats. And I see them picking up uh, four or five Senate seats, plus a wild card. There's going to be some guy who's in the Senate we never even heard of just because that's the nature of a wave election. And so they're in a world of hurt right now. I think you're spot on with that. Neil McCabe, that's why we have him on, because he's spot on on most things. Uh, Neil McCabe at the Ohio Star. Read his work online at theohiostar.com. Neil, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Take care, Bob. All right, that's Neil. We heard from Jack Windsor, the Ohio Press Network. We heard from Jim Renacci. We heard from, uh, who did we talk to early on? Oh, we talked to Bill O'Reilly also this morning. Now I want to talk to you. We've got 20 minutes left of conversation. Dial 216-901-0945 right here on Always Ray Radio. Eleven twenty nine. We got news in a minute, but that's enough time to talk to Roz in Cleveland, or rather, I'll listen to Roz in Cleveland. Go ahead, Roz. Hello. Hi, Roz. Go ahead. Well, um, seeing as people shed blood wasn't good enough to get you to the polls. Do you know the difference in price between one hundred percent turnout and eighteen point seven percent turnout? The cost. You tell me. There isn't one. Your dollars paid for you to vote yesterday. And you didn't bother. Well, Ross, I don't know. I, what does it take to get people off their butts? You know, that's that's a very, very good question. To me, the answer, and thank you for so much for your call, and you're very quick but very great and a suit point. If being locked in your home against your will because of a, a a mild cold virus, which it what which is what it was for the overwhelming majority of healthy people who are not immunocompromised and in in their late seventies. If being told you can't leave your home unless the government gives you permission, you can't open your business unless the government gives you permission, you can't go to church unless Mike DeWine and Amy Acton give you permission. If that doesn't drive you to get up off of your rear ends, as Roz just said, and get to the polls and vote the guy that made that happen out, then nothing will. Nothing. 18% turnout is pathetic. And in a way, we get what we deserve. Back after the news. Sleeping masses and stuff.
Stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one race. You know, we've endorsed Dr. Oz. We've endorsed JP, right? J.D. Mandel. And he's doing great. They're all doing good. Yeah. <laughs> he did great. <laughs> I don't know what it means. But he did great, yeah. J.P. Mandel did great last night. Uh, that has got to be added to the random talking Trump doll. When they make the new doll with the new sound bites in it, uh, like the one that I have that I play, they need to include that in it next time, seriously. Let's hear from him. Right random talking Trump doll. Friends in the morning, they're very honorable people. Thank you, Mr. President. What else you got? From this day it's going to be only America first. We gotta have a button or, or one of the re- recordings in the doll that has. This. That's what they're waiting for. They're waiting for one race. You know, we've endorsed Dr. Oz. We've endorsed JP, right? JD Mandel, and he's doing great. They're all doing you know, good. We've been laughing at it and mocking it, and quite frankly, I was very troubled by it because it indicates that somebody else picked that endorsement for him. And then put his name on it because he didn't know who the guy was. Didn't know even know his first two initials. Uh, and then when he got his first two initials right, he didn't know his last name. Uh, and named his opponent. Um, it's 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 an odd thing that we kind of mocked that, but it carried weight. We found that out. When you look at the final results in J.D. Vance's victory over Josh Mandel, it carried a lot of weight to have the Trump name behind it, whether he made the pick or not. And that tells you something about Ohio politics. Let's go back to the phones. We'll go to uh, TJ. Hey, TJ, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, here's my take on the election. I'm very happy with Vance winning. I would have been happy with Mandel or Gibbons also. I'm just really happy Dolan didn't get it. Because if that guy would have got the senator's job, I have no doubts the first thing he would have done was change the name of the Lake Erie Indian name to maybe Lake Guardian (laughs) before he was done. But, you know, and I know... uh, Many Democrats cross the line. But, you know, like anything else they do, they screw that up, too. I think they split their vote between uh, Mandel and Dolan. A lot of Democrats like Dolan because he was endorsed by the Plain Dealer and all the libtard organizations in Ohio on the Republican side. A lot of Democrats believed that uh, Mandel would be the easiest to defeat in the general election. So, like I said, they screw everything up they touch. They even screwed that up. So it didn't make a difference in the senator thing. And I do believe they all voted for DeWine. They did that. They stuck together. But I don't think that even worked for them because Blystone and uh, the low turnout on our side is what doomed Renacy more than any Democrats crossing the line. I think there's a combination. Thank you, TJ, for the call. I think there's a combination there. Uh, I think the Democrats absolutely had a huge impact on the governor's race, and I think they were responsible for the huge Dolan surge. I don't think any of them crossed over to vote for, J- for uh, Josh Mandel. I disagree with that. Pro-God, pro-Trump, they didn't think they could beat him. I think they just didn't want him anywhere near the general election. Uh, I think they felt like, in fact, the Daily Coast article, which encouraged Democrats to cross over, said, vote for Dolan because he's the most like us. We can live with him. We can rely on him for a few key votes uh, if a squishy Democrat-like uh, Republican named Matt Dolan is in the United States Senate. I think they wanted him because they figured if Ryan doesn't win, that's not a bad alternative. I don't think they would have felt the same way if it had been uh, uh, you know, Josh Mandel, quite obviously. Uh, John is in Cleveland next. Hi, John, go ahead. 
Yes, um, I voted for Renacy too, and I know that you had the distinct pleasure of occasionally filling in for Dennis Prager, which I think is great. Tomorrow, and I want, yeah, and one thing that um, one thing that Dennis Prager has said consistently mm-hmm. as the Democratic Party has moved way, way to the left, he said, "Any Republican is better than all Democrats all the time." Given that and some other thoughts. I, I am going to vote for for Dewine. One thing is on the Dewine's ad, radio advertisements. He talks about how strongly pro life he is, and that's He's a liar. And think, think right, but think about think about the Democrat. Think about the uh, Democrat. We get Democrat gets in there. Okay, here comes uh, here comes. Uh, we don't know if uh, what a man and a woman is, and CRT and that stuff could, could be coming our way, and I don't want that. Well, I'll tell you what, but you're not going to stop that with Mike DeWine. That's, thanks for the call. Um, Mike DeWine will be Nan Whaley. Nan, Nan Whaley will be Mike DeWine. There is no difference in those people. And don't believe for one second that Mike DeWine is pro-life. Not for one second. When given the choice of who to select as the, the director of health in the state of Ohio, he tro- chose a pro-abortionist in Amy Acton. He is no friend to the pro-life movement at all. And what I have said is, if I'm going to get lockdowns, if another pandemic or, or health emergency happens in the state of Ohio, if I'm going to get schools being closed, if I'm going to get uh, students uh, being masked, if I'm going to get businesses being destroyed, I'd rather have a Democrat destroy those things. Then we can blame the Democrats. I'd rather have that than have Mike DeWine do those things, and he did all of those things. What makes you think he wouldn't do them again? If our state is going to be demolished, I'd rather have a Democrat demolish it than a Republican, even if he's only a Republican, on paper. So no, I will not be supporting Mike DeWine, not for one second and I won't support Nan Whaley either, but if that's what happens, then I would rather have, if my state's going to go down, I'd rather have her holding the fire, the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, why can't I think of what it's called? The thing you burn everything with, the, uh, blah, blah, flamethrower. I'd rather have her have the flamethrower than have Mike DeWine holding it. And who knows? Maybe an independent like Neil Peterson can, can rise up and do something to help us out. All right. Uh, I apologize if I left you on hold. I do. I know I have a few people there, but we are out of time. Thank you so much for being a part of it. He just mentioned Dennis Prager. I'll be hosting for Prager tomorrow. So tomorrow you'll have six hours to get in with me, either on this program or the Prager show. So if you missed me today, get on tomorrow, whether it's here in Ohio or nationwide. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to my guests. We had a lot of them today. We had Bill O'Reilly. We had Jack Windsor. We had Neil McCabe. And we had Jim Renacci. And thank you to Johnny for running our show. Thanks to you for listening to our show. Be well, stay free, and always remember, let's go, Brandon. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.